time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. I like the big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had. Welcome back to another episode of Market Meditations with Chris Heidel and myself, Neil Modi. Today's guest is Sean O'Sullivan, and he runs a really interesting venture capital fund um, who has started maybe the largest number of incubators and with a really interesting strategy across a number of cities. I think I was reading a headline that his last fund oversubscribed, I think it's his fourth fund at over 300 million. Chris, welcome to your podcast. Let's start with the sound of the bell. Oh, that's very nice. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is very nice. Yeah. So easy and simple, but uh, like many things, we don't uh, always do what's easy or simple. I don't know what you're talking about. I take the easiest, simplest path on everything, Chris. <laughs> I, I can't relate. I hear you. Well, that's because you're different, Neil. <laughs> I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my friend, what's happening? How are you? Good. We, um, we've got Sean O'Sullivan joining us today. I don't know if you got a chance to... That's a fascinating individual. He's a fantastic yeah. human being. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how did you meet uh, Sean, Neil? He's a co-investor on Virosa. Oh, interesting, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So he's, uh, it's said in the piece you sent me that he's generally, his um, venture firm is making around 150 new investments and, annually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a wide variance, but that's still quite, uh, quite yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah and i you know i don't think he's looking to give the money away so he, uh, clearly he's got a different strategy than than most but he's in so many different fields as well right right he's not a specialist at all no no and then the the charitable work he did in um baghdad oh my god fallujah the jumpstart business which is taking venture capital to a whole new level <laughs> yeah going and starting in uh incubators in baghdad and uh, iraq it is crazy to think huh mm. i i um i think it's fascinating i guess that would be quite um quite an interesting experiment right uh, you would think so yeah i mean you just with no infrastructure, <laughs> banking, um, or any other way, no no infrastructure to work with. How do you help businesses get up and running and ideas reach their fulfillment? Uh, it's a great challenge. How was your week, Chris? Ah, uh, feels incomplete. I've got to do a little thinking about it. Um, but good overall, it's good. But this is a real crazy time, Neil. You know, um, we're just seeing so much strange behavior, and the markets um, just won't fall, even though, in an absolute sense, at least, you know, the economic and financial conditions remain miserable. But there has been an improvement, 
then that's an inflection point that uh, can carry weight with the markets. But it's just fascinating. I mean, <laughs> China and Switzerland have been safe havens so far. But the fundamentals are not inspiring. Okay. <laughs> So what does that mean in terms of like how you're allocating in a week, you know, where nothing quite makes sense and you're not inspired by what you're seeing in, you know, the basics of the economy and you obviously know it's going to get worse. <laughs> like, what is it you're thinking about this week? Well, it's, uh, <sighs> this is probably the greatest and most, uh, the greatest uncertainty I've ever toiled under. I think that's true for everyone who's faced with this. And it just feels like a tug of war between the Fed and the Treasury on one hand and the um, COVID economy on the other. And, you know, it's we had record stimulus um, and that looked to be the champion of the financial markets, but now COVID has something to say about it with an uptick in cases. It's just um, in California going back into a lockdown situation. I don't believe the Fed can win, as strange as that sounds. Oh, I'm certain they can't. But <laughs> the, the question is, you know, how long can trading continue like this? Um, yeah, and to keep sort of ignoring the underlying reality of um, a weak economy. So I... <laughs> It's funny, one part of my brain, Neil, says I should rotate into more cyclical names, like there's definitely some improvement happening and, um, you know, the cyclical companies that are following generally in the improvement in the economy, um, things like banks, autos, airlines, uh, maybe not those necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't know but, about airlines. cyclical, yeah. you know, investments, manufacturing, et cetera might be worth um, an investment now. The other side of my brain says stay defensive or even raise it because when you see a wire card, a massive fraud like that, or you see, um, what was this Chinese property developer, Fang Didi, that went from 800 million to 10 billion US in valuation in four hours, uh, like, in mid-June, Monday, June 8th, or whatever that was. So you see rampant speculation and also fraud that's pretty eye-popping. And those are usually signs of certainly signs of market peaks rather than um, something sustainable. Don't hold back, Neil. There we go. Give him, there we go. Give him access. <laughs> give the man access. <laughs> I'm in. Hey, good to I'm in. <laughs> Welcome, Sean O'Sullivan. It's great to have you. Yes. This is Chris on well, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Um, I, I, now, am I? Um, am I? Is this a video thing or just an audio thing? Just an. Oh, we love your voice so much that we we don't think that um, we could do better with video. Excellent. So I didn't need to put on my Zoom shirt in, 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 uh, in the first case. Right, right. You can stay Excellent. in your board shorts and flip-flops. Works, works for me. Yeah, great. Great. <laughs> great. Sean, you know, it's actually interesting. Uh, before we kind of get into you and talk about it, we were just having this conversation about how the market's not matching, you know, reality. And, you know, Chris was saying it's the 
the week that he had that was the least inspirational with the most uncertainty in his career. Um, and he's had yeah. a lot of success as a public markets investor. I'm kind of curious. You obviously are looking at the public markets at least a little bit from where oh, you yeah. sit. Uh, yeah, I'm no, I mean, we have what some... you're thinking about. Yeah, so, I mean, we have had uh, a number of uh, distributions of public company stock uh, and we have, uh, you know, sold uh, everything we can at the prices that they're at right now. Uh, so <laughs> normally I, I would, I would uh, you know, uh, I would sort of look at, you know, what's happening and sort of time out over a longer period. Uh, but at this point, with everything at the at the sort of irrational sort of levels that they are, I would. I would be looking to uh, exit as much as as much as possible, unless you're looking at real long long holds for, mm-hmm. for you know a rare rare few companies where your capital gains uh, tax you know would be so high that uh, it doesn't make sense to come in again and uh, you know and to prompt possible you know regular income uh, tax when you do re-enter into the stock after the the big dive uh, in the next couple months. Yeah. Well, there's no clearer statement than voting with your dollars, Sean. Yes. So, and, uh, yes. But it is a crazy dichotomy. And we're seeing both peaks of this sort of euphoric speculation um, and also the fraud. That's usually a sign of a market top with Wirecard uh, as one example. Yeah. And it's, it's extremely frightening just because uh, it's just so disconnected uh, from reality. I mean, you see the, the, the obviously the job market being what it is, the uncertainty about the worst uh, public health crisis in the last hundred years in the United States. And, you know, and then people are saying, oh, that can't be bad news. So let's buy, buy shares. Uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense because the fundamental industrial capability of the United States is down 10%, even after the, the theoretical rebounds of the millions of jobs that have been added in the last, uh, added back in the last couple of months. So like, you know, you look at the, the total industrial capacity uh, uh, fall off in the 2008 financial crisis which was like a 2% uh, fall off. And here we are at 10%, five times worse. Um, it's uh, mind boggling to think that uh, there's not going to be uh, further adjustments from these record record highs that we keep hitting every day. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, <laughs> nothing that I could disagree with in that statement. It's um, It just seems, as I was sharing with Neil, like a tug of war between the, the Fed and Treasury on one hand with uh, a the stimulus and the and COVID on the other, just pulling. yeah, yeah, and, and uh, we came with record stimulus, but now we're having record cases. So COVID is having the last word on that tug of war. Yeah, if it, it's it's startling when you look actually at the, you know, the where the market dipped was before anyone had died. Um, so uh, so where you see the sort of the uptick. You know, there, I think maybe 20 people had died when we had the total, you know, the the, the first meltdown in the markets. We haven't seen the second one yet, mm-hmm. but like the where, where it dropped, whatever, 25 percent or whatever it was that triggers a recession. Mm-hmm. Um, the the you know, then from that point, it's just followed completely linearly with the, the death rate uh, in, in the United States of the number of people infected and the number of people dying. Uh, in, in the U.S. and I just can't rationalize that. I, mean, I, I just have no way of saying when yeah. people die, when people, and it's not even just the deaths; it's the lifelong disabilities mm-hmm. of, of people. I mean, I'm hearing numbers now that the people that come back from the ICU, 
um, are uh, 50% of them uh, are able to work again. Um, one third of them actually have permanent mental disability. Um, so, and the, the other one sixth are phys so physically disabled by it that, um, that uh, you know, you're talking about a large cost to society. Well, yeah. And that's beyond just this extraordinary immediate cost. It's absolutely yeah, well, unbelievable. This is a well, long tail. We had, yeah, we had Vivian Ming on the an episode a while back and she was saying like, you know, she measures like on an as, as an actuary <laughs> in her her side job, her side hustle. That um <laughs> she expected, you know, a lot of the people who lost their jobs to literally lose a decade off their lives um mm -hmm. when their income was below something like 50k or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, no, the productivity of the United States or, or the world is really a odd place. Yeah, very, I think, I mean, sad. I do think, I do think we'll come back. I do think that these things will actually have some wonderful net positive impacts on the planet um, and on sort of even recognizing what happens with your leadership and, and taking leadership seriously, you know, political leadership as well. I think the, I think the, the no, at no other time is it as possible to have the sort of galvanizing response as we've seen, uh, to the, the racist, uh, sort of invective and the, you know, the things that have come out of this, that, that I think it, it, it is a, real chance for some long-term positive change um, with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and other and other uh, initiatives. But it's just going to, it took like this shelt, uh, you know, this real huge shakeup of the whole world for us to sort of take a new, fresh look at things. It's uh, all true. I can see the change. Um, but you're right about the question as to its duration and um, its impact. But I already, of course, feel it as do many. I think, um, Sean, you're, you're not mincing words when you talk about leadership. It's um, become very stark. I mean, the whole developed world now is showing improvements in uh, COVID cases, and um, except for the US. So we're in league with a few uh, developing economies, and even many of them are showing improvements where we're not yet. Yeah, well, no, it's it's horrifying. Yeah. We can only travel to 28 countries at this moment. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The once most powerful passport reduced to nothing. Yeah, yeah. And, and as you spy it from where you sit, John, having lived through many cycles, I mean, nothing quite like this, but um, what other net positives do you see, especially as they uh, affect the business climate and our well, resiliency? Yeah, so I'm I'm an optimist, and I actually think that you know maybe we get you know we have to always bear in mind that there's a 25 percent chance that we won't have a, a vaccine for the next two years, but even with that, I think that there is a good chance that within that the next year we'll have a vaccine, and uh, even without a vaccine, I think there's uh, you all you have to do is is make this virus uh, not a um, you know, a, a permanent disability or death-causing event, and I think you uh, 
you know, things can re, uh, get back on a nor normal track. So I think a lot of things are happening on the antivirals, on the uh, antibody therapies, on the cytokine storm therapeutics and whatnot. SOSV invests in all these areas uh, because we're a life science investor. We're the most active, the world's most active life science invest investor. And also just, you know, physical devices and uh, as well. And, you know, things that actually could help us deal with like both on a diagnostics uh, front and also on a germ uh, elim el elimination on a bacteria elimination front um, with uh, sterilizing surfaces, surfactants that can prevent, uh, you know, viruses from, you know, communicating uh, the disease uh, in the future. I think we're going to see um, uh, this have a lot of positive human health uh, impacts, you know, in the years to come. Uh, so I have hope uh, uh, with re respect to all of those uh, issues. But also, I think the, you know, this is a, you know, a wake up moment in terms of how we work, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, so many people are saying it's going to be optional to, you know, whether everyone's working from home in the future. Anyway, you have the companies like Twitter and and Facebook, I guess, and a few others that are just saying, hey, it doesn't matter if you come back to your desk, you can work from anywhere sort of thing. I think that's really interesting. And even though I personally think there's the the best interactions are when you're physically able to, uh, you know, be mingling with a brainstorming with a group and seeing people's facial reactions and, mm -hmm. and, and working together. And there's nothing like the spirit that you get when you're working really side by side on a team doing something great together. Uh, I think the speed, um, you know, uh, is going to be impacted uh, this year. But I do think, uh, I think going forward, people are going to be more open to this, this uh, working from home environment, which I frankly, I was never that much into myself. But I do find as I travel, I used to travel 40% of the year, uh, you know, we have uh, half of our staff is in Asia. We have offices in Tokyo and Xi'an and, and Shenzhen and Shanghai and um, Hong Kong and more than that. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember anything. Cork. And then we also, and, and Cork, Ireland, <laughs> yeah, and, and Newark, uh, New York and, and, um, and San Francisco. Uh. So uh, those are our main, main locations. I'm sure I'm forgetting something. But the, so like I was traveling all the time and, you know, I've actually, been working harder, staying at home, mm -hmm. uh, you know, been on, I, mean, yes. I think probably yes. a lot of people feel this way. Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, you're, it's nonstop. You're on, on all 16 time zones every day and, you know, and you need to be in more contact with people all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, I found it quite interesting that I'm, um, not wedded to the clock as much as to the, uh, outcomes and to the, the actual tasks. So it's, does that mean you're working more hours too, Chris? It does. It, it winds up being more work, um, in terms of the time and the duration, but I feel more accomplished most of the time. Um, yes, but you don't get that free time to think with the drive. <laughs> well, there are trade-offs and, and like Sean was saying, I think that the, um, in brainstorming and thinking about ideas and problem solving, I do miss the energy of the group that sort of, um, you know, you can even feel it with sporting events. When I watched some Korean baseball in my <laughs> desperate. Oh my God. I, yeah, <laughs> I know. Huh? 
He's not a baseball fan I'm normally either. either. Yeah. I've heard him mention one other baseball fan. <laughs> but with no one in the stands, it felt like I was watching a junior varsity practice or something. Was, <laughs> no energy in that game. So anyway, I feel a little bit like that without some of the the opportunities to meet with my team and share ideas or try to break through with some something new. I, th- I think I think for introverts, and I'm actually, you know, I started my life as more a little bit more extroverted, and I, you know, I have taken the Myers Briggs test and 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 all that over the years, and uh, it turns out I'm an introvert now. I, I don't know how that happened, uh, and uh, but at any rate, like you can still. Uh, the, I think the extroverted people probably are suffering a lot more. I, I can get so much done and I can just reach out to people. I really find the, you know, email has always not been a great thing for me. Uh, so just the Zoom is good, uh, but, you know, just phone calls is is great, you know, and just I find myself easily being able to reach through to people with phone calls in this time more than uh, more than ever before. Mm-hmm. Sean, you know, it's interesting. You've got so many different strategies, and I guess maybe this is a good segue into all the different things you're looking at. You must be solving, you know, some of the problems the world's facing are becoming more obvious to everybody just because we now understand some of the food shortage issues. We now understand why healthcare matters more. You know, we all understand weaknesses. Yeah, supply chain. And so I'm looking at all these different strategies that you run, you know, um, and I, I'm, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit about each one of them, but, you know, what, what are the most interesting things you're seeing that are solving the biggest problems in the world since you're, you're making over a hundred investments a year? Yeah, we actually, we make generally 150 new investments in new startups every year. Plus we, we make at least 150 follow on investments in the startups we've already backed. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's more than that. So every day, literally like, you know, today I think I had 17 legal documents to sign a couple of different financings and, you know, some, you know, whatever, some annual reports or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And so like every day is like that, just, you know, closing after closing. So, but that happens because we have a, a big team. SOSV has 120 people across the, the seven different uh, accelerator uh, programs that we run globally and the programs that we run um, IndieBio, which is the world's most active, um, you know, and well, SOSV is the world's most active investor. IndieBio is our way of um, rooting people through our accelerator program. Mm -hmm. And that's about 50 uh, startups uh, a year. And then Hacks is another 50, which is the world's most active um, hardware accelerator. Uh, back to over 200 companies in in that, probably closer to 300 companies. Uh, we've backed over a thousand companies in total, and so um, yeah, so we're a very active investor in those deep tech areas. We have a ton of staff that are PhDs in, in uh, electrical engineering or biophysics or you know just a, a wide range of therapeutics, as, uh, you know, infectious diseases or you know just a lot of really deeply technical people who want to make and see a, a real change in the world through, mm. you know, commercialization or as they call it in academia, translation of, uh, of an idea into a product. Um, and, uh, 
And that's what, you know, that's what accelerators are all about, trying to find that product market fit. And uh, we go in, that, in those deep tech areas. And when we do an accelerator, I mean, I know people possibly have an idea what an accelerator is. It's about that pitch day and it's about maybe a bunch of people giving advice on a pitch deck or, uh, you know, maybe a growth hacking strategy. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but a lot more you know, than that. <laughs> but it is a lot more than that. It's a lot more, it's a lot more than that for all accelerators. I know that. But but our, our accelerators are, 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 are very different. We, we spend uh, many millions of dollars uh, building out our accelerator facilities, which include wet lab facilities with millions of dollars worth of hardware and, you know, and all of the materials needed to, to run bioreactors and to help, uh, you know, teams do genetic engineering, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then on the, on the hardware side, we have a, a huge facility, like a 60,000 square foot facility um, in Shenzhen, uh, where we have prototyping equipment, pick and place machines, you know, uh, you know, all the different types of things that you'd need to do circuits and, and uh, do prototyping from hardware, uh, electronics, uh, life science, uh, diagnostics type medical devices, et cetera. And so, and with a ton of specialists, you know, design manufacturing type people, et cetera. So we're a very deep tech investor with all that comes along with that. And in this sort of weird format with 120 folks that are mostly geared towards helping people at that accelerator stage, and then, you know, and then graduating them into later stage investors like, like yourself, Neil, uh, you know, where, you know, you are looking at something that has some traction and you want to, and, and some technical uh, depth and, uh, and, and expertise and differentiation. And you want to see how that it's, that, that, they're, that they're real. And, and so we're trying to make these companies real by de-risking them, not just in terms of the team, but also in terms of the, the technology, the product market fit and the financing to some extent. But we were, we're in 100% dependent on later stage venture capitalists to come along and invest alongside us as we, as we continue to back the companies. But we we spend you know a quarter of a million dollars on the first check that we put into the companies as they come through the accelerators, um, and then we then we co co invest along with uh, the lead investors. We're we're not a lead investor past the accelerator stage, um, but we'll co invest alongside the the lead investors that we're entirely dependent upon to show up and uh, and uh, care about the companies that we're graduating. And and fortunately, we have a couple hundred, two hundred, or three hundred different. Um, VCs uh, and corporate VCs and angel investors and family offices that repeatedly invest in uh, the SOSV companies that are graduating programs. Mm. You have 300 that just repeatedly. That's awesome. So there's obviously a lot more than just the first few hundred. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, so every year, like we have, uh, you know, a couple of VCs that generally do more than one deal uh, with us. And then, you know, some people only do a, a deal with us. Some people do 10 deals with us a year, you know, uh, which is, uh, you know, sort of an, a very active seed investor, you know, or more. Um, we, we have a couple that are super active. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we, we, we're working away with uh, trying to help uh, as many VCs find the right uh, matches to their portfolio desires. Gosh, Sean, you had, I think, your first venture investment probably earlier, but as I can tell, like 1995, 26 years, 25 years yeah, ago. Yeah, so. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My first, well, I mean, I and I started companies before that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but my first, uh, 
Yeah, direct uh, investment in a startup was in 1995 or, or so. Did you make money on that one, by the way? Uh, I think I made money on, let's see, my first investment. I'm trying to remember if that was NetGenesis. I think that went public. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, w- <laughs> I awesome. did make money on that. <laughs> uh, and, it, and, I, and I was I was sort of a super angel as well. So that was like a, my first check was a half a million dollar, uh, you know, check as a as an angel investor. Mm-hmm. I was I was just my first company went public, and so I I did not know what angel investing is generally like ten, fifteen, twenty five, fifty thousand um, dollars for a, a lot of people who are angel investors. So mm-hmm. I. It's more like more institutional once you get up to, uh, you know, a couple hundred grand or 500,000. But I didn't know that. <laughs> I was new at the game. So uh, I put in a half million, unfortunately, uh, uh-huh. and I joined the board of, of this company, NetGenesis. Net, mm-hmm. And um, and that uh, ended up uh, going public. Mm-hmm. How, do, how is it you choose your strategy? And Chris, sorry, I Go feel ahead. like you have a no, question. No, oh, yeah. I'm very curious about how you choose your strategy for accelerators because, I, you know, I having gotten a moment to talk to you, having heard about you for a long time and, you know, gotten a chance to hear you speak, I kind of get the feeling we're just seeing the, you know, the tip of the spear and there's a lot more coming. Well, actually, I'm very happy with the areas that we've carved out. I mean, being the most active life science, you know, running... IndieBio, which is a spectacularly, uh, you know, great uh, accelerator for life sciences. Hacks, again, the the leading uh, accelerator for hardware. Like, that's enough. <laughs> you know, and and and, and FoodX obviously is you know a, a great uh, great brand for us uh, on on the food. It's considered the number one food accelerator in the world. It's based in New York City. Um, and you know, and we have China Accelerator, which is which is the first accelerator in China. Um, and is is the only uh, accelerator in all of Asia to have uh, you know that's still running that has um, uh, graduated uh, unicorn. Uh, actually, it's also graduated to decacorn. Um, you know, and so like uh, that's um, you know we're we're doing and and Mox is its sort of sister um, accelerator that we just started about four years ago. Um, and so yeah, no, I'm I'm. Uh, the, so if you look at why we chose those areas, uh, you know, we're just basically looking at the megatrends that we think are, you know, defining the future. And so if you look, uh, what are the big massive trends? Um, yeah, connected computing and um, devices. You know, if you look at things like AI, what powers AI is huge streams of data. Generally, that's sensor data. That's things like, you know, that's hardware um, uh, because, you know, you have these you know, computing devices or medical devices and whatnot that are telling you, or, you know, uh, rackets uh, or, or that are telling you how to how to play uh, better uh, tennis or, or, you know, golf better or whatever. You need data streams, you need machine learning in order to benefit uh, from those that sensing uh, technology. So we're just looking at megatrends that we think have a 20-year run. And uh, basically every physical device needs to be reimagined for you know, being a connected device, whether it's a door that opens when you, when it recognizes your face or, or, uh, you know, uh, or uh, if it's a tennis racket that teaches you how to be a better tennis player. Mm -hmm. Um, These are things that are physical devices that all need to be replaced in the next few years because computing is so cheap and smarts are so valuable. And, and so um, the, the idea of that has a nice 20 year run. 
indie life sciences, like with IndieBio, um, you know, that actually has probably a, a much longer run. It's sort of the, you know, right. because of the program programmability now of, uh, you know, genetics and, um, and, uh, you know, the automation of all of, uh, what's possible in terms of creation of new food, uh, supplies and, um, you know, the sustainable planet issues, we see that as just having a very, 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 very long run of it. And so like when we set out to set up accelerators with the exception of China Accelerator, um, which we just sort of said, hey, it's the first accelerator in China, let's just go and, and geographically own that space. It's a different space than the rest of the world. There's a great firewall, it makes it a different market. For all those reasons, it was very differentiated. But, um, but Otherwise, we, we decided to very vertically focus, not just geographically focus. And so if you look at like, you know, when I went to university, I wanted to be an engineer. And so I wanted I went to an engineering school. I didn't go to like a, a general purpose liberal arts school. And I'm sure they're great engineering at some of the at the Yales or the uh, or Harvard's or whatever. But, you know, I, I went to an engineering school. I went to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. I could have gone to MIT or to Carnegie Mellon, you know. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that people tend to do when you tend to be specialized. You want to do what you want to do and you want to go to the best place in the world to do it. And that's why we set up these vertical accelerators. And mm -hmm. so like if you're thinking of being a doctor, maybe you'd want to go to Johns Hopkins rather than going to, you know, whatever, Stanford or something. Mm -hmm. um, so, so like th these are, you know, so we carved off that sort of attitude of the people who want to be the best in the world at something really want to, to have a lot of specialized knowledge and a lot of specialized capabilities so that they can really be talking to people who can really help them scale up their first manufacturing run of a thousand devices or getting CE clearance or getting FCC clearance or, you know, how do you work with a firmware on this to you know to do that or or whatever else, and and that's why we why we gone at, why we went so deep into these deep tech areas, um, and tried to build a big moat around us um, by by having the you know by investing in the way that we do um, in in all of these companies and in all the talent that we tried to surround them with. Hmm. So, so in terms of that, answering that question, what, why do we pick those areas? We, we see those as being 20, 30 year runs. Mm -hmm. China itself is another sort of thing, China Accelerator in Asia. You know, we see that, that economy, those economies uh, being more important in 10 years or five years or 20 years time than they are even today and they are growing economies. So we think, okay, we could stay here in the US and do things locally, but we really need to be global. Um, and so w when we looked at each of the accelerators that we started, and food is, is another one uh, that we started from a mission orientation. We're very unhappy with the, the food that is, that is in our society right now that mm -hmm. is fattening us up and making us unhealthy. Um, and uh, we we just think that there are better food options that can um, help improve the quality of life for people. Mm. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> a great and complete answer. I, uh, <laughs> Sean, I wanted to ask you about the, your experience with JumpStart, which you did in Baghdad and Fallujah, and 
in Iraq yeah. in those yeah. years. And was it... Uh, sorry, sorry to jump around with you, but we, we, we're curious about so yeah, many things we were excited right, to ask you today. Right, we're really yeah, well, lucky to have yeah, a polymath so on the call. I have, a, <laughs> I have an eclectic background, I guess. Right. So, right. Um, what drove yeah. you to that? It's got to be the greatest incubator for venture ever when you don't even have infrastructure to lean on. Well, no, it wasn't an investment uh, orientation. <laughs> like most people, I have interests that go beyond and um, the financial mm -hmm. and um, and you know I when I uh, you know the whole uh, world was sort of cast into a state of uncertainty around September 11th and what mm -hmm. does our planet look like and who you know what kind of um, challenges will we face as a planet uh, growing up together learning to live with each other and and being good to each other um, or, you know, uh, just trying to point the finger to the other and say, hey, we're going to build a wall and you guys are rapists and, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, and mm -hmm. some of you are very good people. <laughs> I'm sorry to make a reference, <laughs> reference to that crazy, crazy, crazy uh, uh, talk. Yeah. But, you know, like, uh, so, you know, so I, I look to, uh, you know, I traveled the world a little bit. Uh, when I took a break after my first company went public, um, actually, yeah, after my second startup, actually, it was my second startup. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I went to all these um, countries in the developing world, and one of them uh, was China um, and, um, and others uh, uh, in, the, in various parts of the world. But the reason I uh, went to the Middle East is because we were having a conflict uh, with the Middle East at the time, and I wanted to understand better what are the differences? Why why do people think that this uh, sphere of humanity is is against us, and why or why why do we think that, or why do they think uh, what they think? And you know, is there a false wall or false expectations about what we all think about each other? And so I wanted to experience it uh, firsthand, um, and because I'd always found that by traveling the world, that uh, you know, it's a very um, it's the best education you can have. It's like uh, somebody said once about, um, you know, living in the same place your whole life is like reading one page of a book. <laughs> and I, I, I think that's incredibly true. Just mm -hmm. by traveling, just by going to a, a given place and seeing, wow, people live in whatever, whatever, whatever it is, like in uh, Madrid. I mean, uh -huh. you can live a totally uh, different life with a different transit system, with a different architecture, with different, you know, expectations about, you know, eating, you know, et cetera. And, and, uh, and, and so just traveling is really uh, like reading the whole book uh, rather than just stuck on one page and, and being very short-sighted. Yeah. So, uh, you know, traveling to the Middle East was very important to me. And um, so I went, you know, under the guise of being a reporter originally. Uh, I was did go to film school. I had the <laughs> talent to, to actually do camera work and, and photography and uh, some writing. And so I was a stringer, uh, you know, uh, in Iraq uh, for a couple of months. I sort of, uh, you know, went in as a documentary filmmaker while the Saddam regime was still uh, in control uh, in power. Mm -hmm. And then I was there during shock and awe when the U.S. Uh, sort of uh, bombed uh, Baghdad. I was in Baghdad. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw all the things and I saw a, a remarkable, you know, different perspective than what everyone else uh, has um, that, that hasn't been to Baghdad and hasn't seen the, the, 
the range of, of experience um, mm. that, uh, that I was able to witness firsthand. So not all of that is bad and not all of that is good. Um, uh, but it was a very hard time of my, uh, of my life, not the initial year or so, uh, during the, during the war and during the uh, cleanup after the war. But when the civil war started, that became a, a very, very difficult time, uh, for, uh, for everyone in Iraq, uh, as well as, uh, you know, for, for our organization, which at that time I start, I went to Iraq as a filmmaker and then I, uh, re I, I then started a humanitarian organization that grew to be the largest humanitarian organization in Iraq with around 3,500 people. So we, we, uh, we, we did a lot of, uh, good work and, um, and yet, uh, it became very, very difficult to do that work, um, uh, at, at a certain point. And, um, and, uh, yeah, it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. And are there any children of jumpstart that are still working through some of the humanitarian work you began? Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, I mean, there are, uh, there are organizations that exist now today. Um, and there's, I mean, it's just all the alumni of jumpstart. There's, I still hear from folks, uh, you know, there was 3,500 people. Uh, there was myself, I think I was the only American, uh, that was working for, uh, jumpstart and there was, you know, 3,500, uh, Iraqis and other Middle Easterners that were, uh, just living in Iraq that, uh, that, uh, we, uh, we employed. And so, uh, it was, uh, I hear from the, those guys every, every month, you know, various, uh, foreman and, uh, you know, uh, various other folks that we put to work. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I've seen, I mean, there, some of them are building the biggest skyscrapers in, in, um, in the world, in, um, in, uh, the UAE and Dubai and, mm -hmm. um, and other places. Um, and they're all over the world now. That's great. Well, Sean, thank you for your compassion, um, and for your humanity, really. Well, it's a, uh, it's a uh, hard, uh, it, you know, it's hard fought lessons, but I mean, I, what I experienced mostly was that, you know, people are good people everywhere effectively. And then you have regimes which are not necessarily, uh, good. And, uh, and then you have polarizing people that try to take advantage of, of, uh, you know, uh, finger pointing, yeah. um, and blaming others. And that's seems to be the cause of most of our, uh, struggles in the, in the, in the planet. Uh, so, yeah. uh, you know, I, I understand that, you know, we need a good solid playing field, uh, you know, so that everyone has a fair chance, fair shake at, at making their lives and their the lives of their families safer, secure, and, and more meaningful. Mm -hmm. Um, and so governments have a massive role to play in trying to create that, that fair playing field. But, um, you know, that you also just see people just taking, uh, you know, pointing the finger at other, other people, other races, other ethnicities. Yeah. And, and, uh, that's where everything goes wrong. The division is heartbreaking, you know, um, in Darwin's origin of the species, he talks about cooperation and love over 150 times in that book, which many people quote from, but few have read kind of like, uh, the Bible. <laughs> mm. But anyway, he <laughs> talks much more yeah, it, it, about cooperation and love a, than competition it, and survival of the fittest in a lot of these. And and it's it's also very yeah. funny. Like I don't know what people would think Darwin would think of how people use Darwin, but he actually. <laughs> 
you know, to my understanding, he believed in God, uh, which mm -hmm. many people are using Darwin as a uh, as the proof that there is no God, uh, which I think is uh, probably upsetting to Darwin. Terrible <laughs> moment for yeah for Charles Darwin. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well. Sean, what else should we ask you before we end uh, your part of the podcast today? Yeah. Oh well, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think you know, generally, you know, we try to SOSV. Uh, you know, we invest. Um, we have about seven hundred fifty million under management. We invest uh, in the the problems that we consider the most critical for the world to be facing. So, you know, uh, a sustainable planet, um, you know, uh, you know, planetary and human health. Um, uh, you know, we are obviously responding now to the COVID-19, uh, issue, uh, on, we have dozens of companies, probably 40 or 50 companies, uh, of our 1000 companies in our portfolio that are, uh, they're coming up with major breakthroughs in, uh, COVID-19 antibody therapeutics, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, we antivirals, um, you know, diagnostics, we have a new, um, new diagnostic that should be out later this fall, which is a, which will for like a $20 sort of, uh, price. So give you a, a you know, a 45 minute result, um, uh, telling you wh whether or not you're, whether, you know, it, it's a, it's a handheld device that can, uh, that you can sort of, uh, spit into and then it will uh, tell you. Sean, Sean separately, I'd love to be connected to that company. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, they're yeah, I'd love to uh, connect you. Um, and and there's loads of others. There's loads of other uh, technologies that we're working on uh, for filtration and uh, screening and um, for people. I, one of my uh, partners, uh, he's not active in the current fund, but the pri prior fund. He's in his mid sixties. Um, uh, you know, he he got affected by the disease. He was in the ICU. He's fine. Uh, his, his, you know, his brain is is fine and everything. He can walk uh, now, uh, and he can walk for like a hundred feet uh, before having to rest. Mm -hmm. um, but it's um, it's uh, you know, a lot of people are facing longer term and perhaps lifelong disabilities. So we have a number of. Uh, like COPD, like uh, feedback systems for the pulmonary issues, your lung issues, mm -hmm. um, for continuous lung monitoring and things like that. So we have, uh, you know, a, a range of products uh, by a range of companies to try to deal with the long-term effects of uh, COVID-19 as well. So we're just trying to, you know, cover it from all angles, trying to take um, as many um, shots on goal for, for really deep and hard human problems and uh, hopefully there are markets behind all of them. And Neil, I know that you recently invested in uh, a company that's close to my heart as well. I have a son with autism um, and um, uh, you guys are, are, are behind uh, one of our latest uh, companies, which is a broad spectrum blood test for autism, which is a real breakthrough as well. And um, so th those, are, those are all important areas. Sean, you know, the last question be before um, we, we end with you today is where, do, is there any place you share? I mean, you're obviously on lots of different podcasts. You, you know, there's lots of media around you, but is there any place you share any of your, your regular musings? So the rest of us, can not really, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I actually don't, you know, it's one of those things I am hopeful, uh, that, 
unfortunately, I have a stupid number of direct reports and I have 17 people who directly report to me. And I know that that's a very stupid thing uh, and it's not fair, <laughs> not fair to all those people either. Be gentle uh, with yourself, Sean. You're doing great yeah. work. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, but one of the things is I obviously need to spend a lot of time with everyone who I'm working with. Uh, to you know, help them develop themselves in their portfolios and their careers, et cetera. And so I don't have uh, the kind of time I'd love to have. I'd love to. I, one of my friends, uh, you know, just uh, I have so many books that are up on my bookshelf uh, that it seems like half the books on my bookshelf are written by people I know. And so, you know, with a little handwritten notes uh, from, from folks and, and they're great books. And I will want to one day write a, a, a book, uh, you know, that's also a bestseller, like all my friends have all these bestselling books. And uh, I'm so jealous because I, I grew up wanting to be a writer, right? So I don't know if you guys have that in you or, yeah. you know, or if you wanted to, but in fifth grade, sixth grade, I actually read 535 books in fifth grade. In the 180 days of the school year, I read 535 books. Wow. And so it, it was uh, a record for the school by factors. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I am just always wanted to be a writer, uh, but I just did not spend uh, the time uh, really uh, doing it. So I would love to be putting musings together. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife is a writer. She's an author. She's a, I met her over in Iraq. She's a war correspondent. And uh, she's got a, 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 a podcast or not a podcast, but a, a blog called Knicker Twist because she always gets her knickers in a twist, knickertwist.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> so, so if you want to find out what she's writing about, that, that's mm -hmm. where I would go. But for me, I, I, uh, I have no, uh, no musings other than uh, the occasional podcast where I speak. And it's a great pleasure to speak to you, you guys, Chris and Neil today. And thank you for... We appreciate the time, and yeah. maybe we can have you as a, a reoccurring guest once every nine or yeah. nine or twelve months. And that would be that'd be fun. Yeah. That'd be fun, and 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 I look forward to co-investing with you guys with Neil. Chris, are you also with the firm? Am I? Uh, I do work uh, with Neil and and talk to him about deals, and I have a an RIA firm in Pasadena, California. Okay. So okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. The, awesome. The work we're doing. And I guess if uh, until we meet again, knickertwist.com is as close as we can get. That's, that's <laughs> my wife's writing. You can also follow <laughs> a little bit of what um, Sean's doing at sosv.com as well. That's not right. not yeah, directly, yeah. but his org. So yeah. yeah, yeah. No, if you go on Twitter at sosv or if you follow at indbio, indbio, or any of the other uh, things, but you can find it all at, at sosv or sosv.com. Um, and eventually I'll write another blog post or, or, or 10. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your time so today, much. Sean.